Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. Today we're going to look at the benefits of belonging to Jesus' family. In other words, the benefits of being a disciple of Jesus or a follower of Jesus. I took an hour or two one day just recently and read through the book of Mark in the Bible and found at least 27 benefits that the disciples enjoyed of belonging to Jesus. Some of those benefits included uh, them enjoying Jesus's company. Uh, Jesus protected his disciples from being condemned by religious folks. He did all kinds of things for them, but one of them is he called his disciples his family. They belonged to Jesus. So listen in today and find out the many benefits of belonging to Jesus's family. I want to share with you today the benefits of belonging to Jesus's family. There's some definite benefits of belonging to Jesus's family. There's a lot of people that say it's hard to be a Christian. And I agree. It is hard to be a Christian. But you know what's harder than being a Christian is not being a Christian. <laughs> so you got to kind of weigh the, the, the two sides of this and decide which one do you want to go and then pick it and go for it all the way. Especially if you're going for Jesus, go all the way. But there's some benefits to belonging to Jesus's family. But can I tell you something also? There's some benefits to belonging to a local church. Being a, the part of the family of a local church. And next Sunday, we're going to do something totally unconventional. I'm forewarning you so that when you walk in, uh, have you ever read that book, Who Moved My Cheese? I mean, some people may have read it and somebody may not have. Who moved my cheese? You come in, you're used to seeing everything just like it is. Next Sunday, it's not going to look like this at all. It's going to look totally different. We're going to have tables set up and we're going to have a family brunch next Sunday during church. During church. Not, not before church, not after church. And we're going to have, you're going to be able to choose whatever you want to eat. And I'm going to share with you what it means to be a member of Life Worth Living Church. And you see, whenever you start eating, you start relaxing. And you start listening. And you start hearing what I'm telling you. And not, yeah, hopefully you're hearing what I'm telling you right now. But whenever you start eating, whenever I go out to eat with somebody or go to coffee with somebody, they start relaxing, I start relaxing, and we can truly have communication between the two of us. And we're going to have that next Sunday. And I can't wait. I hope it's warm enough. I would love to open these doors. So these lights just drive me bonkers, man. I promise you. I think next Thursday, my electrician canceled on me this sun, uh, this last week. He's coming this Sunday. Excuse me, this week. We're going to have the, the lights a lot different. But hopefully we can open these garage doors, get some natural light in here. And it is going to be so nice. We're going to have, the, we're going to have a memorable Sunday you'll never forget. And I want to share with you what it means to be a member of Life Worth Living Church. And I hope it's so appealing to you that, say, that you say, hey, sign me up. I want to be a part of this church. I don't want to just go to this church. I want to be a part of this church. And for those of you that are online, I want to encourage you, if you can, there's some of you that are out of town, some of you that you can't come. But if you can come, I want to ask you to come this coming Sunday and be a part of this. And I'm going to share with you some basic values, cultural values that we have here. And I'll tell you right, right now what they are. Faithfulness, it's fat, F-A-T, all right? 
faithfulness, availability, and teachability. If you embrace those three things, you fit here. (laughs) You fit here. I'll tell you, there's nothing worse than a person that can't be taught. Whenever I start feeling myself like I know it all, I don't, but sometimes you start feeling that way, um, you're no longer teachable anymore. And I've, I've taught this at work. Be faithful, be available, and be teachable, and you'll be highly successful in life. Highly successful. But that's for next week. First, let's look at the benefits of belonging to Jesus' family in general. So you could be in Baltimore. You could be in Europe. You could be in China. You could be here. There's benefits to belonging to Jesus' family no matter where you live. All right? No, no matter what, what your background is. And so, so I want to share those with you, but before we get into the details, let's just chill out just for a second, and let's think about what a good family atmosphere is like. Now, you may not have been brought up in a good family. You might say, Steve, my family background was horrible, so I don't know if I'm going to be able to relate to you. Well, if that's the case, at least think with me. If you could start your own family, what would a good family be like? What would a good family be like? And here's some thoughts that I've put together of what does a good, healthy family look like. First of all, they eat together, and that's what we're going to do next Sunday. They eat together. Now, we have a little bit of a bad habit. i got four four kids that are still at home. We have a little bit of a bad habit of eating in the living room and watching TV while we eat. Does anybody else do that? All right. Okay, some honest people, that's all right. But then other times, and we have a blast doing it because we're laughing, we're spilling food on the carpet, we're, we're having a good time. But we also have those times around the table where we just come and we just talk and it's just a fun family time. Another uh, aspect of a healthy family is we talk. You know what? We talk every day. There's not a day that goes by in our family when we don't talk to each other. Can you imagine going one day as a family and seeing each other but not talking to each other? That would be a pretty lame family, wouldn't it? We don't want to do that. And I want you to translate all of this into the family of Jesus. If you come just once a week and you don't chit-chat with other people in the church, what kind of a family are we, you know? So that's the the connection I'm trying to make here. Um, We like to be alone sometimes, and we like to be together sometimes. A lot of people believe the New Testament church was like communal hippie living where we all moved in together and and you could take my mustard and I could take your hot dogs and we could share everything alike. You know what? That's not how the New Testament church was like. (laughs) It mentions that they shared everything, but they lived in their own houses. They had their own privacy. And we see that in our own home. You know what? I went, uh, I needed to grab something out of Cole's room the other day and you know what I did his door was closed you know what I did to my 16 year old son I didn't just barge in and walk in I knocked on his door and I asked for permission to come into his his room there's in family you have to have boundaries but you can also share a wonderful time together and that's there's no difference The, the, the body of Jesus is the same way we have our boundaries but we also share and share things alike and for those that are in need. Also in our family, we have chores that we don't like to do necessarily. All right? We have a nursery, and Liz is back there right now, and I, I think uh, Annalise is back there. I don't think they probably necessarily love doing the nursery, but you have chores, right? And 
we have dogs that do their business in the backyard and there's this daily routine. Everybody gets to go out and pick up the dog stuff in the backyard. We have chores in our family and the body of Christ is the same way. We have chores. Uh, Jesse comes and does all kinds of work. In fact, there's things that Jesse does that nobody else notices. But if you didn't do them, you would notice them. <laughs> all right? We have the things that, that we all do, and we have chores. That's, that's part of being a family. We have fun together. We pray together. We talk to, to, to each other. We help each other in our family. Uh, I've mentioned boundaries. Uh, we check on each other. If I ever notice that my wife, and they do this to me too, my wife or my kids are acting a little weird, you know what? I just say, are you doing all right? You doing okay? And so it's okay as a family to check on each other and to call each other and to make sure that we're, we're doing okay. We dream together. We plan together. We share ideas. This is what at least partially a good family does. I'm not saying we're the perfect example, but I wanted to give you some of those thoughts. Here's another question, though. What are some attitudes that stimulates a good family? Let's say you've come from a really bad family environment. You say, Steve, I want to have a good family someday. Well, here's some attitudes that would stimulate a good, healthy family environment. First of all, it's this. And I, I believe I live this out. My family comes first. It comes, my family comes before work. My family comes before church. My family comes before my own personal hobbies. They come first, and I believe you have to take that attitude to have a good, healthy family. You have to say, family, familia first, familia primero. I mix my English and Spanish there. Family first, all right? Here's another attitude. I love my family. I do. I love my family so much, and I hope you love, even if you have a tattered, torn family, I hope you love your family. I hope you love your family. Even if it's ripped apart, ugly, they don't love you, you can still love your family. Um, I need my family. There's an attitude. (laughs) I acknowledge I need my family. I appreciate my family. I enjoy my family. My family, here's, I don't know if the sentence is right, but my family is my friends. Or my family are my friends? I'm not sure, but you know what I mean, right? My family is my friends. We, it was like six of us. Now that my kids are older, it's like six buddies living together. <laughs> we have so much fun together, all right? That's what a family, a good family, looks like. Family definitely takes effort, and you can't fake the feeling of family. It's either genuine or it's not. I mean, you just can't fake it. If people get on your nerves, it's going to show up. You know, it just, it just does. So... Here's another question. Before we get into the benefits of of being, of belonging to Jesus' family, listen to this. What is it going to be like in heaven, and are we doing some of those things already here on earth? When all, I pray that all of you guys have given your heart to Jesus, and we're all going to see each other in heaven one day. We get to heaven. How is heaven, from a family perspective, how is that going to be different from what it is today? It shouldn't be too different, actually. We should be treating each other with respect, with love, with trust. But in heaven, are we going to see each other just once a month or once a week? I hope not. (laughs) If you go to church, are you just seeing me once a week? I actually need to see you more often. I need you more often than once a week. See, family is strong. 
we've, we've messed up church so much. We think a church is a place. It's not a place. We can meet anywhere, anytime in the name of Jesus, and that's the church. That's the body of believers. We belong to each other. We love each other. All right? Are we going to see each other just once a month in heaven? No, of course not. <laughs> Are we going to eat together in heaven? Well, the Bible's very clear. Yes, we will eat together. So you know what? Next Sunday, <laughs> we're going to eat. Darren, we're going to have a good time, man. We're going to eat here. You're going to like it. We'll have, I think we're going to have French toast, which is one of my all-time favorites. Um, we will enjoy each other's company in heaven. We will. We're going to enjoy each other's company in heaven. We should be enjoying each other's company here on earth. Remember, family comes first. And family should be coming first in our lives right here on earth. Helping each other, sharing with each other, blessing each other. So look at this. Why did the disciples, <laughs> those 12 disciples, remember? Why did those disciples have a sense of belonging with Jesus? We're going to talk about those benefits. Well, I sped read, if that's such a word, I sped read through Mark one morning, and I found 27 reasons why those disciples felt like they belonged to Jesus. And if I'm going to cover 27 things, I better do it fast because I hate long-winded people. All right, so here goes, 27 reasons why these disciples or benefits that these disciples ex, ex, uh, enjoyed from be, being with Jesus, being part of Jesus' family. First of all, Jesus walks up. There's Peter. There's Andrew. There's James. There's John. He says, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they dropped everything and followed him. Something went on in these guys' brains that made them follow after Jesus. And what it was is he challenged them to be with him at all times. Jesus challenged these guys and said, I want you to be with me, not, not just on Sundays. I want you to be with me on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, night and day, my presence. I want you to be with my presence all the time. 24-7. And then in that same challenge, he gave them a lifelong purpose. He says, I want to make you fishers of men. You're fishers of fish. Now you're going to be fishers of men. In other words, I'm going to show you how to reach people for the kingdom of heaven, not just a few, but tons of them. God wants you to reach a ton of people. So those are two things. Here's another one. He took care of their personal needs, even the impossible needs. So picture this. He's walking with his disciples, and he finds out that Peter's mother-in-law has fever, and he says, Peter, let's go. let's go see her. So he goes with Peter into his mother-in-law's house maybe it was Peter's house we don't know and he prays for her and he heals her of that fever he took care of her personal needs don't you think Peter's saying I'm sold man I want to be with Jesus he's taking care of my personal needs has God ever taken care of your personal needs yeah. even if you don't acknowledge it or realize it he's taking care of your personal needs a huge benefit we're on number four. We've got a long ways to go. Let's cover some more. He allowed himself to be found. He was accessible. So at one point, Jesus was worn out. He goes out into, uh, uh, into the wilderness to pray, to talk to his father. And the people can't find him, but his disciples found him. And they said, Jesus, where did you go? He allowed himself to be found by his disciples. If you're following Jesus, you will always be able to find him. 
He'll always be able to find them. Another huge benefit. He allowed them to be by themselves and enjoy their company. I, I don't know why I've been hung up on this. It certainly wasn't taught to me by my parents. But I've always been fearful of being overly a Christian because I feel like I ha- I could, I should, I'll have to be accessed by people all the time. And I need my time. I'll be honest with you. I need my time alone. I need my time to regenerate, to be refreshed. And I saw this, and it spoke to me so much. At Jesus, they had crowds all around them, and he took his disciples. They got in a boat, and he says, let's get away from all these people. <laughs> and he got them out. It was the only place where they could be alone, out in the lake. And they were by themselves, and they were refreshed. If you are part of Jesus' family, he's going to let you get alone, get regenerated, get recharged. I love that benefit. And he refused to let them... <laughs> Be religiously enslaved. And there's a story there. I'm, I'm trying to remember which one it was. I, I believe they were, they were traveling. Through, they were going through these, um, these, this area, this uh, farmland. And they were picking grain on the Sabbath day. And there's some Pharisees, some religious people. I hope none of you are Pharisees. All right? Don't be a Pharisee. All right? Be, have relationship with God. Don't have religion with God but they're picking this grain and eating it and these Pharisees start pointing the finger hey why are your disciples doing this on on the Sabbath you're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath and Jesus said Sabbath the Sabbath was meant for them not them for the Sabbath see God gives us laws to protect us not for us to become enslaved to those laws and so he refused to let them be religiously enslaved I love that. Every time you hear that condemning voice, oh, you're not good enough, or you didn't read your Bible enough, or you haven't done this, you haven't done that, Jesus is there defending you against those condemning, shameful thoughts. That's what I love about Jesus. That's a benefit of being a disciple of Jesus. He made time just for them. I won't go into details on that. He appointed them to a lifelong communion and purpose. And here's what happens. One day, he looked at his disciples. He had prayed all night. And he chose 12 disciples. And he chose them to do two things. The Bible says he chose them to be with him and to go out and preach. God has chosen you to be with him and also to have the purpose of doing something for his kingdom. Isn't that exciting? And you know what? If you'll let yourself, you'll be one of the 12 disciples. You can be one of God's closest if you'll just allow that to happen. Uh, let's see, he, uh, l- look at this, he called his disciples his family, and this is like central and core to what we're talking about today. Um, he was in a crowded house, I believe, as the story goes, and his mother and brothers tried to get in to see him, but he had so many people around him that they couldn't get in. So somebody said, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside, and Jesus said, these, and he pointed to his disciples, he said, these are my brothers and sisters my brothers and mother. These are the people that do my will. You see, your blood with Jesus. If you have accepted Jesus into your heart, his blood, so to speak, flows through your veins. You belong to Jesus. You know how hard it is to turn your back on the Lord? It is so hard. It is so miserable. Have you ever tur- tried to turn your, your, your life away from God and go do your own thing? Isn't it difficult I have. I've tried it. I'll tell you what. When you belong to Jesus, you belong to Jesus. 
It's not completely impossible to walk away from the Lord, but it is very, very difficult. Chris is laughing. <laughs> it is very difficult to walk away from Jesus. Your family. You belong with him, and he calls you his family. Here's another one. To his disciples, another benefit. He explained the, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. He would preach to crowds, and then he'd get his disciples over, and he'd explain everything to them. Is it wrong for you to have questions that you ask God? No. I ask God questions all the time. Is it wrong to ask God why? No. Ask God questions. If you ask God questions, he will answer your questions. You belong to him. He wants to share with you insights and understanding understanding things that are hard to understand. In fact, there's one verse in Mark that it says he explained everything to his disciples. God wants you to understand what's going on. Look at another benefit. He rebuked the storm in their lives. I won't go too much detail into that one, but he sent them out with authority to drive out evil spirits and heal the sick. He empowered them. A benefit of being a disciple is God's going to empower your life. You're not going to be helpless anymore. He ensured that they got um, by themselves and had proper rest. He allowed them to participate in this miracle of feeding 5,000. He helped soften their hearts whenever they got hardened. Have you ever done that before? You, you feel inside. Just get hard towards God. You don't understand something. You're mad about something that God has let happen to you, and you harden your heart. If you're a disciple, God will help soften your heart again and get back on the right path again. He's done that to me dozens and scores of times. Uh, Lord, he revealed who he was to them on the sermon, excuse me, on the uh, Mount of Transfiguration. He went up there and he revealed who he was to, uh, to those three disciples that were with him. He told them, foretold the future to them. He was merciless on their fleshly tendencies. There's a, a group of them that were walking and they started arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus afterwards, he said, what were you guys talking about back there? And they were arguing about that. He was merciless on their fleshly tendencies. I'm so thankful God is merciless on my flesh, but not on me. <laughs> he taught them to pray. He taught them. He corrected them. He gave them the gift of service. Boy, I'd love to speak on that one, but we don't have enough time. He taught them to move spiritual mountains. He taught them to recognize historic seasons. They experienced communion with God, and that's what we're going to do next Sunday is Communion Sunday. And I'll tell you what, I'll say this again on Sunday, next Sunday. But you know what? The Passover, that the Last Supper, when Jesus was with his disciples, he didn't put out, pull out an itty-bitty little communion cup and break off a little itty-bitty bit of, of crusty bread and feed it to them. This was a full-blown meal they were eating. Full-blown meal. And that's what we're going to do next Sunday. We're going to have a full-blown meal, but we're also going to participate in, 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 in communion next Sunday. But I find that very interesting. His disciples, he brought them together and they experienced true communion with him. And the last one that I have here is he took his disciples to a place of deep intercession. And that was at Gethsemane when he was about to be uh, betrayed. He said, can't you pray with me one, one little bit just for an hour? He says, watch and pray. And they, even though they fell asleep, they were there 
beginning to understand what deep intercession was. Intercession is where you're praying for somebody so desperately and so so strongly. They experienced that because they were his disciples. So let me ask you, wouldn't all these reasons be enough for you to be a disciple of Jesus, to be part of his family? It, did I do at all a decent job of selling it to you and telling it what's in it for you? You know, we, so often religion tells us, you know, you follow God, you're going to sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Your, your, your life is going to be over. You're going to be miserable. That's what religion tries to do to you. No, I'm telling you, when you follow Jesus, your life gets so much better. Don't you want to be empowered over your temptations and over your trials and difficulties? Don't you want to have him take care of your personal needs whenever you have a need? I do. I mean, how much do we need to have to to make a decision? I am following Jesus. I'm going to be his disciple. I'm going to be family with Jesus. What is it going to take? What do you you know the world and all of its desires are such a waste of time. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. But would you in let's say you were Peter or John or you were of these guys, would you have been a disciple of Jesus at that time? Would you have made that decision to leave everything behind and follow him? It's hard to tell <laughs> because we weren't there and, and we didn't have our nets laying there and, and, and our livelihood there. Jesus is calling you right now. <laughs> He's calling you right now to make a decision for him, man. Say, I'm going to follow you. I want to be part of your family. I want to belong to Jesus. I'm tired of all the stuff that's pulling me back and dragging me down and, and wearing me out. I want to belong to Jesus once and for all. Well, how do you do that? <laughs> what, what's a modern day disciple look like? I can't see Jesus walking around. Maybe you can, but I can't. You know, now it's all a spiritual thing and, and we have all our physical senses, but I can't see Jesus. I can't hear him with my ears. You know, I wish I could. Maybe things would be different. But how can you become a modern day disciple of Jesus and belong to his family? Check this out. Jesus tells us in Mark 8, 34 through 37. And before you view this scripture through a religious lens that drags you down and makes this seem unappealing, please listen to me, okay? This is one of the most wonderful scriptures in the Bible, and I want to explain why in just a second. Mark 8, 34 through 37, it says, Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said... So he wasn't just talking to his disciples. He was talking to that crowd in which existed future disciples, I'm sure. He said, Whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to be family with me, must do three things, deny himself, take up their cross daily. In Luke, it says, take up their cross daily and follow me. Three simple steps to being a disciple of Jesus. Don't get worn down by thinking, oh my word, this is exhausting already. I'm looking at this and thinking, oh, it's too hard. It's not. It's wonderful. It's great. And you're going to see this in just a second. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? All right. 
This sounds negative. It sounds overwhelming. But I tell you what, for the first time in my life this week, this week, I read the scripture and it was so exciting, so wonderful and so encouraging. And I want to try to share with you my feelings in these these three things. First, deny yourself. All right. This is not a bad thing at all. All right. And here's why. We want to get rid of our old selfish self anyways, don't you? <laughs> do you want to get rid of your addictive self? I do, you know? Don't want to get rid of my old gossipy, nitpicky, judgmental self? Yeah, I want to get rid of it. I want to deny that self. Do I want to get rid of that stinking self that gets into the pantry and eats like a porker? Yeah, I want to get rid of that self. All of those things. I want to get rid of the lustful self. I want to get rid of the angry self. I want to be free, don't you? So this is good. Deny yourself. All right? I want to get rid of that old self. I want to get rid of the addictive self, the abusive self, the lazy self, the obsessive self, the vain self, the depressed self, the lustful self, and the helpless self. I want to get rid of that. So this is great news. This isn't bad at all. This is wonderful. The next one is take up your cross. Well, nowadays, you and I, you know, we have a cross with a chain, and we see a cross back here, and we don't have any idea. When Jesus spoke of the cross, it had huge significance back then. I mean, back then, you talked about a cross, and it sent chills down your spine because they would see people suffering capital punishment on the side of the road hanging there. So to talk about the cross was a very ugly, nasty thing. But what this means is to die to your appetite for this world. And we're going to be talking about this as we get closer to Easter and even after Easter a little bit more. But your worldly appetites leave you unsatisfied, don't they? If you go out and party, don't you get a hangover? (laughs) And if you go out and get high, do you feel any better the next day? If you got have an affair on your spouse, do you feel good about yourself afterwards? No. All of those appetites leave you completely dissatisfied and empty and actually worse off than before you did them. There's definitely trade-offs between being in the family of God and being outside of the family of God. And I tell you what, I want to take up this cross daily and die to my worldly appetites. I want to get rid of them. I'm sick of selfish dead ends, aren't you? They just, you, you end up empty anyways. So I want to take up the cross of Jesus, and I want to die to those, self, those, those appetites. The Bible talks about, and I'm going to, again, we're going to get into this a little bit more detail, but the Bible talks about the world being crucified to me and I to the world. I want to die to this stinking world and all that it offers because it always leaves me empty. That's a good thing, isn't it? It's hard, but it's good. It's worth it. It's definitely high value, high return. All right, what does this mean? You know, when you talk about the cross life, you're going to have internal opposition and you're going to have external opposition. You're going to be at war inside with yourself because you're tempted. And you have your tendencies, I have mine. We all do, all right? And you're battling those tendencies all your life. (laughs) I wish I could tell you, you know, someday they're, they're gone. Now, here's the good news. As you battle them, you start winning the battle. 
And eventually, it's not nearly as hard to overcome those things that you couldn't overcome before. I still have horrible tendencies. If I told you my tendencies, you'd probably throw me out the door. All right? But God has helped me get stronger and stronger and stronger. And now, my tendencies are about this big, and I'm looking down on them versus a few years ago, (laughs) they were huge and giants. All right? So I have internal opposition, and then I have external opposition. You have people beat you up at work, you know, I don't know, bad relationships, people who have it in for you. We've all been there. We've all done that. You're going to have opposition in life. This is not going to be an easy life. But with Jesus, it's easier. It's easier. And it's definitely worth it. So what I do, I take up my cross daily. What does that sound like to me? I ask God daily for help. I ask, what is it to take up my cross daily? Jesus. I get out of bed, probably before I roll out of bed, and I say, Jesus, please help me. <laughs> I need your help. It's the cross life. It's saying, Jesus, I need your help. Now look at this in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, a phrase out of that verse. Paul says, I die daily. I die daily. You know what? When you Let's say you have a temptation. I don't know. Say you have a temptation to party on the weekends. I'm just going to make something up. Before Friday, die to that temptation. Before Friday. Don't get up to Friday and then try to make a decision. Say, I die daily (laughs) to this temptation to go out and do the wrong stuff on the weekend. I die daily. All right? So die to it beforehand. Say, God, I need your help. It's Tuesday, and I'm asking for your help on Friday. You know, get out ahead of it. You know when your week times are for the most part. We've already lived long enough to know when our weakness is going to pop up. So let's die to it before the time comes. Mark 10, verse 29 through 30 says, I I tell you the truth, or truly I tell you, Jesus said, no one who has left home and brothers and sisters and mother and father and children and fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Religion will tell you your reward's in heaven. No reward here, only in heaven. That's baloney. God rewards those who diligently seek him all the time. He wants you to have a blessed and wonderful life. But what is this word left? Does that mean I need to leave my kids, leave my wife, leave my house, walk out the door? No, this word, I looked this up in the Greek, and it means to release to release, to say, God, I give you my wife. God, I give you my kids. I give you my house. I give you my cars. I give you my future. I release all of it to you. I just give it up. And you die to it by giving it up to God. And God says, okay, buddy, good job. You know, I'm going to bless you beyond your wildest dreams on this earth. I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's what the Bible says. Isn't that cool? Isn't that wonderful? Man, this is the cross life. This is the good life. And yes, along with persecutions, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trials. We all do. To, to, to believe that you're going to have a perfect life on earth is simply a lie. It's not going to happen. You're not going to find your security here. You're going to find your security up in heaven. A couple of final thoughts as we finish up here. Uh, there's this... There's this former oligarch, a Russian oligarch, and uh, he was an oil and gas guy, all right, back before Putin came into power. And uh, he threatened Putin with uh, 
you know, with being able to take over instead of, you know, becoming president politically, in other words. He was in prison for 10 years, and now he's exiled in London. And when you see this guy, I saw a documentary on this guy yesterday. When you see this guy, this guy's already died. He is fearless. He is fearless. He's already been in Siberia for 10 years. He already faced death every day while he was exiled. He doesn't care. He wants a free Russia. He wants a free Russia. You know what you and me need to do? We need to die to ourselves so we can be fearless. That fear that grips you every day, that you, those worries that consume you, those panic attacks that you have, those ang- that anxiety that overwhelms you, it's because you haven't died yet. But let me tell you what, when you deny yourself, you take up your cross, you say, God, I release everything to you. You're going to be fearless, and you're going to be free, and you're going to be able to do anything. Your limitations are going to be gone. When you crucify yourself, so to speak, on the cross, your limitations die as well, and you begin to live a limitless life. Through Jesus, you can die to the limitations of this world. You die to the selfish dead ends that we've talked about, and you die to the affections that enslave you. I want to die to all of that stuff. I really do. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself to me. I challenge you this week to meditate on these concepts and let the Holy Spirit give you insights that I could never give you. Let God teach you like no man or woman could ever teach you. But here's the final one is, and this is the good part, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Jesus. And you say, well, what on earth? How do I follow something I can't see or someone I can't see? It's really three things in my mind. It's believe Jesus. So if God's promised you something, just believe him. That's following Jesus. If he says he's going to heal you, he's going to heal you. Believe him. If he says he's going to provide for you, he's going to provide for you. Believe him. The the next one is obey his will. Remember, God doesn't tell you to do 20 things. He tells you to do one thing. And he's not going to tell you to do the next thing until you've gotten that one thing down. What is the one thing that God has been dealing with you in your life? It's different for every single person. All right? Do that one thing. Obey his will. And the third thing is imitate his example. To follow Jesus is to imitate the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He died so that you could die to your selfish self so that I could die to my selfish self. He was raised to life, though, so that you could live a much improved life. If you look at your life right now and don't like it, well, there's good news. You can die to that old life, and you can start living a wonderful new life in Jesus. Let me just read you two scriptures. Galatians 5.1, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. It's for freedom. In Galatians 5, 24 and 25, it says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I could say many, many more things about this, but we'll save them for future Sundays before and after Easter. Let's bow our heads in prayer.